So we're in uh, John chapter 15. Um, I'd like to remind us a little bit of the context and then I'm going to give us three key messages um, and then we'll read the, the first 11 verses. Um, so you'll have the context and the three key messages in mind as we read the passage together and then we'll look at the three key messages one by one. So here's the context. It's uh, remembering it's John's account of the most intimate time the Lord had with his disciples. And if we go back to the beginning of the upper room experience, it's one, it's the one that John looks back on and says, and now the Lord showed us the full extent of his love. So what we're going to be reading is considered by John as central to the Lord um, showing the disciples uh, the full extent of his love. Let's not overlook the time. It's a crucial time. It's um, what the Lord Jesus would later describe to the Apostle Paul as the night on which he was betrayed. This is the just prior to Gethsemane, just prior to his uh, betrayal and his arrest, and of course, all that followed him. So, very key time in the Lord's uh, ministry amongst his disciples. It was to the 11. Earlier in our uh, reflections on John, we were thinking that some of the things the Lord said were very public, and they were said to thousands of people. Um, and some things were said and done in private. Some of the miracles he did were just in private to his disciples. And I love considering this upper room ministry as something that the Lord had that was very special for those who are closest to him. Judas has left, and now it's just the 11. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, the narrative does not mention the Holy Spirit. But chapter 15 is nestled right in the center of the Lord's teaching about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. So we had it last week in chapter 14, where Ian um, brought us through that. And then we'll have it again as we go to chapter 16. And it just seems to me that the uh, role of the Holy Spirit in what we're going to be reading is almost like a given <laughs> It's uh, his uh, role in facilitating our abiding in the vine, as we'll learn, is, uh, is central. And it, it reminds me of um, a certain characteristic of the Holy Spirit, which I think is important for us to acknowledge. And I, I mean this reverently. He kind of has a subliminal role. Um, we don't really read of the Holy Spirit drawing attention to himself. His focus is always to draw our attention to God the Father and God the Son. And so I'd like to consider that the Holy Spirit is an essential enabler for our abiding in the, in the vine, but it's, it's not about him. He doesn't want it to be about him. He wants it to be about a special union that we have with the Lord Jesus himself. So there's the context. Key messages, there are three, and I'll just read them to you. The Lord Jesus shares with his disciples the route to complete joy. It is a unique union between him and them, 
something, something he helps them to understand through the metaphor of a vine. And that we, means we'll need to explore the metaphor of the vine, in particular, what is meant by abiding or remaining, as some versions say, and also what's meant by pruning, something that's necessary for fruitfulness. So that's the first key message. Second is, but complete joy is really just a byproduct of this union. Its real purpose is to bring glory to God by the disciples living fruitful lives. So that means we'll have to explore together what's meant by fruit and fruitfulness. And the third and final point is an essential element of abiding in him is abiding in his love. So abiding in him is not a, a passive thing. It requires energy and action on our part, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we've thought, and a very specific prayer. We have a very specific prayer in the middle of the passage that we'll read. So we'll need to explore together what abiding in his love looks like. So there's our structure for our um, talk this morning. And let's now go to John 15, and we'll read the first 11 verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So to key message number one, and I'll just read that to, again, it's, it's kind of a mouthful, but um, it's where I would like us to focus for the next few minutes. In this intimate time with his, his disciples, the Lord shares with them the route to what he describes as the complete joy. It's a unique union between him and them, something he helps them understand through the metaphor of a vine, its branches, how to look after it, and the resulting fruit. So we'll need to explore the metaphor together, abiding and pruning things that are necessary for fruitfulness. Verse 11, uh, for me, is a kind of punchline to the whole um, passage, and I kind of draw our attention to that first. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
abiding in the Lord um, is a joyful experience. And it's, um, that's not to say that people who are abiding him go around with smiley faces all the time and have an easy life. We talk about this regularly, don't we? That we live in a sin-damaged world um, and we've been damaged ourselves by sin. Um, and as a consequence, life is hard. But joy, complete joy, is knowing that we have confidence that God is in, is in control of these things. And actually, more than that, our complete joy happens when we know that we're doing what God wants us to do. And when things go wrong, when catastrophe strikes, we're not left wondering, well, where's God in all of this? Our joy is made complete because when things go wrong, we know that it's because God is allowing them to go wrong and that he has a purpose in them. We'll learn a little bit more about that when we come to the idea of pruning. It seems to me that there are four characters in play when it comes to the Lord Jesus' use of the metaphor of the vine. And uh, it's to teach us about the importance of something called abiding in him or remaining in him. First character is himself. He says, I am the true vine. You know, we ought not to overlook the little expression, I am. Um, we've visited this on many occasions before through John's testimony, and it would have rang a very loud bell with his audience who uh, would remember how that that's the way God uh, identified himself to Moses. I am who I am. Um, Lord, the Lord Jesus here was claiming deity. And we've heard him um, claim that before. And it was done in such a way that was quite unexpected often. Um, he claimed I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, these each have their own very precious um, revelation about him and about his father and about their mission and about our relationship uh, that we can have with them. And now he's introducing us to the final I am, which is I am the true vine. It's a statement about his deity. Second character in the illustration is the father. The father is the vine dresser in the uh, NIV. It says gardener or husbandman. Um, so the father and the son together working here uh, each have a specific contribution to make in this union that the Lord Jesus is describing for his disciples. Third um, character at play is you are the branches, that's verse five. Um, and he's referring to the 11. We mentioned that, that Judas had already gone. I would put it to us that uh, Judas was not one who um, was considered to be abiding or in Christ at that point. Um, never was. Um, I, also it refer, I also think it refers um, and, and this is a special thing for us. He's talking to the 12 as being the, sorry, the 11 as being the branches, but he's also, as we're now let into this um, precious truth, he's talking about the millions 
of other disciples that he had chosen before time began and they would know his calling in the future and that's us so you're a branch and i'm a branch and we need to um take the lessons to heart the final character at play i would put to you is the gracious holy spirit as we've said and he's facilitating the process of our abiding in the lord jesus and we get that from the context rather than an explicit text so what what does abiding or as the niv puts it remaining what does it actually mean it's what a branch does uh, with a vine um, it's 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 the way the the relationship is described if we can call it that between the the branch and the vine and it it's a, it speaks to a permanent connection and it has all kinds of purposes the one i like to think of is it's an anchor <laughs> if you're a if you're a branch that's disconnected then you're, you're kind of floating um, and there's no reference point, there's no solid route um, that keeps you secure. Um, being um, a branch connected to the, to the vine itself is necessary, of course, for life. When the branch come, becomes disconnected, it dies, it stops producing fruit, and as we'll see, it's pretty useless. So this abiding or remaining in, in, in the Lord Jesus as the vine um, speaks of that anchor, of that necessary connection. It's, um, it's also got the thought of continuity to it. We can't be um, connected to him one day, disconnected from him the other, and the next connected to him again. Uh, it speaks to me of a, a kind of permanency about the relationship. Um, this has become a, a bit of a precious topic for me because since lockdown, we actually have acquired two vines in our house and they are um, planted in pots by our gable end. And they have to be planted in pots because um, where we wanted to position them, it's just concrete, it's part of the house foundation. So I was a bit worried about, you know, can you expect a vine to flourish forever um, when it's only ever been planted in a pot? Will it kind of run out of stuff and eventually kind of um, be stunted? I asked someone who knows more about this than I do, and they reassured me they'll be great so long as you feed the soil. And isn't that the, the reality of um, our relationship? With the Lord as we abide in him. It's about getting sustenance, spiritual sustenance from him. I should report that we bought some vine food. I have no idea what, what's in it, but when we planted them, we included that and they have flourished. I would say they're maybe five times bigger than they were when we bought them in a, in a matter of a couple of months. So our abiding and our remaining in the Lord has that main function it's where we get our nourishment from, feeding on him, finding him every day in God's word, taking the time to listen to him, praying to God through him, more of that later, and communing with him takes me to Revelation 3 and 21, him standing at the door and 
knocking. It takes time and it takes concentration and it's kind of a permanent mindset. Um, it's also a, an element of by being um, connected, united in this way with the Lord, we're also um, by inference connected to each other. A very special truth about the fellowship we have with each other as fruitful branches all connected to the same Savior, all getting the same nourishment and all flourishing in our own specific direction. So what about the vine dresser? That's the father. It seems to me he performs two jobs, dealing with fruitless branches and dealing with fruitful branches. Verse two is a, is a bit of a shocker. It says he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. It's important to notice, I think, that the whole context of John 15 is about fruit bearing. It's about living fruitful Christian lives, and it's not about our eternal salvation, which cannot be taken away from us. We're expressly reminded of that in verse 3. It's almost as though the Lord throws that verse 3 in as a little bit of reassurance as to what's going on here. He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And that's a reference to his earlier interaction with Peter in chapter 13 in the foot washing episode. So what does it mean that um, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit? Careful look at verse two, and there's also a reference to the same thing, a bit more brutal actually in verse six. So verse two is what the vine dresser does. Literally, it means, when it, the NIV puts it, it, he cuts off. It literally means he takes away or puts in suspense the branches that don't bear fruit. I'd just like to point out that there's no mention of discarding them to the fire in verse two. I, I feel it just speaks to the, the grace of God for those who um, have wandered away from their faith when their faith was genuine in the first place. You know, there's, there's much more um, well-read people than me that struggle with this verse, and some interpret it as meaning people can lose their salvation. We know that's not the case. That would make Romans 8 a lie. It would make John 10 a lie. Um, the whole context of, of John 15 is about fruit bearing and um, people who have lost their way and no longer feeding from the vine, they won't bear fruit. And in his grace, he, he, um, he takes those branches away and I would put it to you, puts them in a kind of suspension. That's a, maybe a contentious issue, but it's the way it appeals to me. What happens when we get to verse six? Um, and it says there, uh, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Now, the expression he is like just speaks to me. It's an apparent thing. Um, if the Lord meant he was a branch that is thrown away, he would have said it. He wouldn't have said he is like and a branch that's thrown away. So someone who does not remain in him has the appearance of someone who is a branch 
that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Interestingly, if we read the King James Version, it says such branches are picked up or gathered by men and thrown into the fire. And I would just put it to us that um, someone who is no longer remaining in the Lord in terms of their spiritual sustenance from the outside, from the observation is uh, apparently dead and fit for the fire. So that's my um, sense as to how verse two, the difficult statements in verse two and verse six can be um, legitimately understood without bringing into question um, the, our eternal security, which we know is absolutely certain. It's independent of our own commitment and service. Assuming, of course, that we had a, a genuine faith um, in the first place. That's the first job of the, um, the vine dresser. Second one, still in verse two, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, also could mean cleans, so that it will be even more fruitful. I think we're talking about discipline here. Discipline is a painful but positive necessity. It's about God looking after us with tough love. He accomplishes it through life circumstances, teaching us the lesson of dependence on the vine. And we can read more about it in several other places. I would turn us to Hebrews chapter 12. And here the context is about running the race with perseverance. And it's a, it's a passage of scripture about the way God disciplines us for our own good and for our own fruitfulness. And that's what the Lord, I believe, is teaching his disciples um, in this element, in this aspect of the metaphor of the vine. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Back to John 15 and 11. The joy, and we've said that is different to smiley faces and happiness, of knowing hard things are from a loving God with our own good and fruitfulness in mind makes hard things make sense, if I can put it that way. Uh, I don't know of another faith that deals with um, 
difficulties like uh, um, helps us understand why difficulties happen and i think it's a it's a special truth about the christian faith is that god is in control of everything he has our good always in mind and when we're going through difficult times the lord's saying to his disciples you're going to have difficult times he says that explicitly later on um but actually it's part of the pruning process that will make you even more fruitful that you are. It's about the removal of things that are an impediment to fruitfulness and growth. And that's painful, but necessary. Now all these things are, are easy, easy to say, perhaps more difficult to um, put into that um, perspective when we're in the thick of it. But I would just encourage us with this, amazing truth that the Lord is sharing with his disciples and he knew that they would have a lot to go through but it was all in the interests of them being more aware of their dependence on him more aware of the, their dependence on the father on the word on prayer and as a consequence they would be even stronger and more fruitful key message number two but complete joy is really just a byproduct of this union. Its real purpose is to bring, bring glory to God um, by disciples living fruitful lives. So we need to explore a little bit what we understand by fruit and fruitfulness. To do that, we need to go to Galatians 5, I would suggest, where we're taught about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 and 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Someone has described uh, these fruit of the spirit as spiritual produce. I have a little bit of a problem with that because when we go back to um, John 15, I find it really interesting that the Lord doesn't say that the branches will produce fruit. It's a subtle thing. What he says is they will bear fruit. I know I get the pronunciation of burr wrong so you're probably chuckling but he's saying um branches that are abiding in the vine will bear fruit and when you look at what the word burr means it's not about being um producing fruit if you like from within ourselves it actually means to carry so it's a beautiful thought that to me at least that the the branches that are abiding in the vine become a display on which the fruit of the spirit is shown and that's fruit bearing that's when the holy spirit is so in control of our lives what we display are those beautiful facets of his character that we learn about in galatians 5. You know, this is the, the consequence, displaying 
or bearing the fruit of the Spirit is the consequence of what Paul describes later in Galatians 5 as living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. At this point, I'll make a pitch for TFS because that's our subject at TFS in a two or three weeks' time, online TFS, uh, still space. Is this the limit of our fruitfulness? I would put it that, yes, it is. It is very much about the fruit of the Spirit being displaying the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, displaying the characteristics of Christ in our life. But it's not a passive thing. <laughs> Maybe the picture we have so far is a, a branch that's connected to the vine, can't really go anywhere. It's very healthy and it's displaying these characteristics of the Holy Spirit that are described as the fruit. But um, we mustn't look, overlook the reason for pruning. So pruning, it, it said, is that um, so that we will be even more fruitful. And I suppose that means displaying even more richly the fruit of the Spirit. But I can't get away from the thought of quantity as well as quality. So in what sense um, does a, a branch that's abiding in the vine um, bear more fruit in terms of quantity? And that brings us to our final point, number three. An essential element of abiding in him is abiding in his love. This is not a passive thing. It requires energy and action on our part, empowered by the Holy Spirit and very specific prayer. So we'll need to explore what abiding in his love looks like. Verse 8 and 9, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much, uh, I would say quantity there, fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's commands and remain in his love. So abiding in the true vine involves abiding in Christ's love. And abiding in his love involves obeying his commands. And obeying his commands involves doing things. It's not passive. It's active. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know whether there's anyone else other than me that follows every day with Jesus these days. But it's a study of the Beatitudes. The Beatitude, Beatitude the word, is a really strange word. And people don't seem to know where it comes from. It's not a Bible word. But the way Selwyn Hughes explains it is he says it's B attitude so your attitudes should be like this uh, one of the things he says they're not do attitudes <laughs> it's not about just doing things because we can do things just by going through the motions it's not about what we do it's what about we are what we are and i would just say that this combination of abiding in the vine and abiding in christ's love they're a blend of what we are and what we do and both go together. Bringing, by bringing obedience into the picture of our abiding in him, the Lord Jesus emphasizes that those who truly abide in him um, demonstrate what they are, fruit, fruit bearers of Christ, by what they do, and that's obedience to Christ in love. And the final point, a very specific prayer in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be given you. Now we take that verse out of context at our peril. It might, it could be read that you can ask whatever you like, <laughs> you know, um, and that's not, that's not appropriate. The context is about um, asking God to help us in our fruitfulness. And if we abide in him, then we'll have a real appetite for bearing fruit. And the Lord Jesus is encouraging um, his disciples to demand, if you like, from God to make us fruitful. You know, I mentioned in my key point that it's a, it's a specific prayer that we appeal to God to make us fruitful. I'd like to close with just reading a psalm, a couple of verses from a psalm with no real comment. It's Psalm 92. Special encouragement for those who are maybe a little older and feel that fruit bearing is something of the past. Check this out. Psalm 92 verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. So 